standard issue for all women. Hi, Hannah here and welcome to this episode of Sunday Chops. This week I'm going to be chatting about an issue that's not had a lot of coverage in the media but really deserves it and that's violence against shop workers. I recently went to a meeting of my local Labour Party and heard the speaker, the head of campaigns and public relations at the co-op, Paul Gerrard, talking about incidences of abuse, both verbal and physical, in my city's co-op stores. Now, I live in Cambridge, which, if you don't know, is quite a small city, quite an affluent city, and has a pretty low crime rate. And yet, he reported that there have been more than 3,000 incidences of physical and verbal attacks on co-op staff in the previous year, a quarter of which had involved a weapon. I went off to do some research and discovered that the picture across the country is equally shocking. In March 2020, the British Retail Consortium released its findings from its annual Retail Crime Survey, which detailed the period from April 2018 to March 2019, so way before the pandemic. And that reported 424 incidences per day in the UK shops. Figures released in the same month by the Association of Convenience Stores reported an estimated 50,000 incidences against shop workers in the same year, a quarter of which resulted in an injury. Now, that ACS report also found almost 10,000 of the reported attacks in convenience stores involved a weapon, 43% involving a knife. Other weapons included firearms, axes, hammers and syringes. And if you think that maybe the country woke up to the problem during the series of lockdowns we've endured in the last year, you'd be mistaken. Shop workers have actually seen the levels of physical and verbal abuse directed at them rocket during the pandemic. Asdor, the Union of Shop, Distributive and Allied Workers, reported that abusive incidences towards shop workers had doubled during 2020. So I got on the phone to Asdor, more specifically to Tracy Gilbert, Scottish Deputy Divisional Officer, and Joanne Cairns, Deputy Head of Research. And we chatted about what it's like to be on the front line of the pandemic, what the government needs to do to tackle the problem, how it's affecting women specifically, and much, much more. When you finish listening to this, if you want to know more about the staggering facts and figures, Dr Emmeline Taylor, a London-based criminologist, has several fact-filled articles about this, so give her a Google. Also, if you want to join Usdor or you know someone who you think needs to, you'll find out more at usdaw.org.uk. Now, I started off by asking how the figures in Cambridge compared to the rest of the country, and you will hear Tracy speaking first. Sadly, it's not just Cambridge. It is a UK phenomenon and not a new one either. This has been something that's plagued workers and obviously right across every community. Obviously, there's stores that are more dangerous than others and there's uh, hotspots in, in particular stores and communities, depending on where that is but across the UK. But it's sadly the same picture across the whole of the UK and a worsening situation as well since the pandemic incidences of violence have doubled sadly um, to shop and retail workers which is absolutely staggering really given that these people who are frontline workers have continued to try and provide for communities 
and fear for themselves and their families and little protection if you think about a retail store compared to, say, a hospital. For frontline hospital workers, hospital workers will know nine times out of ten, unless it's accident and emergency, who is coming in that day. They'll normally, if they're going in for an operation, they'll have been tested for COVID prior to that. Um, and they'll know that they're fairly safe in terms of the PPE and stuff that they have. But if you look at, say, a large Tesco extra store, could have a footfall. Uh, this is just based on sort of till sales, so 300,000 sales a week. So if you attach one person to each one of those sales, and then they may have a partner with them, they may have someone that they are a carer for or some kids with them, that's an enormous amount of footfall. And even with the best will in the world in terms of health and safety and protecting workers in these places, it's really hard to do. And if you couple that with the enormous amount of violence, like nine out of 10 people feel it have either been threatened or assaulted in that time, that's a horrendous level of fear for people to be working under, particularly during a pandemic. Yeah, because the point you've just made there is the pandemic has exacerbated this, yeah. but it's not new. No, absolutely not. Why, as someone who is in, like me, who works in the news and is quite well read and on top of current issues, why is it that I only discovered this by attending a local Labour Party meeting? Joanne, why do you think the media hasn't shown a great deal of interest in this topic? Well, I think all too often retail workers are a bit invisible. They've finally, during the pandemic, I think, been recognised as key workers and people have started to appreciate the work that that retail workers do a little bit more. If you remember in the first lockdown when there was panic buying going on and there was all people getting stressed about there not being enough pasta or enough toilet rolls, it seems like it was for the first time that it actually occurred to people that somebody's putting those things on the shelves Mm -hmm. and somebody's making sure that we have Mm -hmm. all those things and actually how essential our shops are. So I think retail crime has often been seen as something that's victimless. You know, people think about shoplifting and they just think of it as a corporate crime. And actually behind all of that, there is a human impact. Age-restricted sales are another sort of flashpoint for abuse that's been there for a long time. So, you know, when people are being asked for ID for alcohol, tobacco and and knives and things, and there's often a backlash against the person who's just trying to enforce the law. So all of these things have been going on for a long time and we've been campaigning since 2002 with our Freedom From Fear campaign and we always find that when we run our Respect for Shop Workers Week every year in November we get really good support from the public and they're very positive about the idea of protecting shop workers more but it, often it just goes unseen there hasn't been enough focus on it until until just recently so we really do welcome the increased focus on this and the interest that people are taking in it now. When you talk about age-restricted sales there you remind me of another point which is that currently shop workers are expected I'm guessing to police who isn't isn't wearing a mask in public which I would imagine is a massive flashpoint. Have you seen sort of kickback within the stores? Yeah, it is something, all of the social distancing measures have have become the biggest flashpoint for abuse now. They've actually overtaken the age-restricted sales because it is new and the supermarkets were very much the pioneers of social distancing, weren't they? Because they were the only thing that was open at the start of the pandemic. So this was new to people and shop workers were then being asked to enforce these rules 
that people were still adapting to and they were doing it in order to keep and they continue to do it in order to keep customers safe you know it is for our, all of our own protection and for and for the public health protection and yet as a result you know we've heard of shop workers being deliberately coughed on being spat at one member told us that somebody physically removed her mask the shop workers mask and so some supermarkets now have introduced these sort of no mask no entry policies which is you know we welcome steps that will keep people safe but it should be being enforced by people who are properly trained by security staff mm. who have the training and the expertise in that and we shouldn't be just dragging people off the shop floor to go and, and enforce it because it obviously is a flashpoint for abuse and it's a very difficult thing um, for people to do. Can I ask you what sort of incidences that you are seeing? I mean, that's a good example of someone taking their mask off. I mean, when we talk about an assault on a shop worker, they'll all be upsetting for the person that it happens to. But, I mean, we're separating between abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse. Do they tend to be isolated incidences? I think there's there's a couple of issues and sort of tied into that. So the kind of instances are that Joanne's touched on are, are all too common. So people frequently have things flung at them. There's also the, obviously the age restricted sales. So, and also if someone is under the influence of alcohol, they're not allowed to purchase alcohol. So these yeah. this obviously creates flashpoints as well. If someone's got a bottle in their hand, all too often that will then get flung at the Jesus. at the member of staff if they're trying to stop that from happening. If people are just not wearing masks, spitting on customers, spitting on staff, coughing deliberately on them and um, saying that they're COVID positive and coughing deliberately on them. There's a multitude of incidents. And again, this is obviously heightened since the pandemic because there's another level, another weapon to use yeah. against people. But this has been ongoing since the beginning of our campaign, as Joanna touched on, since 2002. The other problem that you have is, in, if, as you said, like if you used Cambridge as an example where you live, Hannah, but in small communities and rural communities, that might be the only place where everybody mm. hangs out. So all the kids are hanging around in shops. Everybody knows where everybody lives. If people are working on their own in a small community, if there's been an incident in the store that night, the kids are possibly, if it's young people or a local thug hanging about, that person's still got to walk home. And there's a lot of incidents of people feeling unsafe travelling mm. to and from work as well. So part of the initial campaign, whilst in Scotland obviously we've secured the legislation now, part of the initial campaign was about highlighting this to the public and making people aware that, as Joanna touched on, there is a person behind that. And these people are really sometimes the only place for people to shop in communities and they're a real asset to local communities mm. and, and sometimes the only place where people can work. So it's not yeah. like you can leave and get a job somewhere else if you've got someone that's abusing you in your workplace. It can become like terrorism and bullying for the individual and become a real horrible situation for people to get involved in. So what we were working with employers on was not only the sort of legislation side, but also about making sure that their employees are protected in these circumstances, that there's strong policies put in place, and that if managers are supporting people to keep them out of the shops, if they act inappropriately. So there's a bit of PR work done in terms of what appropriate behaviour is mm. and what our expectations were with the public. And like I said, you, it was highlighted to you in your, in your Labour Party meeting that we were doing a lot of stuff on the street, campaigning with people just in terms of highlighting this and what our expectations mm. were. We've had Black Friday sales. That's a new phenomenon that came okay. and went. It's now moved online. Christmas shopping used to be the big thing when people were obviously trying to get goods and there was limited amounts. 
So this has been an ongoing issue, but it's been brought to public attention, sadly, because of the pandemic. But basically, it's been a real plus point in terms of enabling us to highlight that concern. Yeah. And communities as well. Police don't often attend these. It's seen, as Joanna said, as a sort of corporate crime. And the local governments, there's less funding for the police and it's not seen as a priority. And that's really the driver behind getting the legislation in place to force that to become a priority, to kind of drive forward those statistics and make sure that whilst we've always encouraged people to report incidents of crime, we want those to be taken seriously. And that's where the law assists us in doing that. It makes it something that can't be swept under the carpet any longer. Okay, there's three questions I actually have written down that all tie into that. The first of which is that police don't appear to be coming out to these, but we can get onto the legislation. But I just want to mention one thing, which is my local parade of shops, which currently only has a one stop in it. That is the only thing that's working and open in there. Recently, the wall outside has been taken away by the council. Now, I believe that that is possibly the council taking control of managing the the outside environment, which is actually part of the shop, but isn't part of the shop. But I suspect it's also because there are flats upstairs and perhaps there have been complaints from the people who live in the flats above the shop about the noise outside. But actually, that area, that courtyard, that wall that you get outside shops, like you say, that also kind of is part of the shop, but not part of the shop. So do you need councils and police to start managing those areas a bit better for you as, as well? You're both yeah, nodding. Yeah. <laughs> there is definitely a need for action against antisocial behaviour around shops and around shopping centres and town centres. If you think about, from the point of view of a customer, probably you have some choice about avoiding certain times and certain areas mm. where you you might not want to go to shops where you might feel uncomfortable but if you work in a shop you don't have that choice you know you have to be in work and, and a lot of our members work on social hours they're working late into the evening and like Tracy mentioned before they're having to leave the shop and get public transport home for example and it can be a really intimidating atmosphere for people when they're going in and out of work and there's people hanging around threatening them abusing them and just generally making it a really unpleasant environment so yeah there definitely needs to be more done not just in the shops but around them too Okay, so there has been legislation in Scotland. Perhaps you could maybe start with telling us what the current situation legally is protecting people who work in shops. In general, across the UK, the current situation is that if you are assaulted at work as a shop worker, it's treated just as any other assault. The fact that you're at work can count as an aggravating factor in sentencing um, under the sentencing guidelines. But very often these cases are either not reported or prosecuted. So for it to reach the point where it's treated as an aggravating factor, there's a lot of barriers to get to that point. But there's been a successful campaign to change the law in Scotland, led by Daniel Johnson, a Labour MSP, which I'm sure Tracy can talk a little bit more about. Daniel's an also member, Anna, so he's um, one of our MSPs, and he brought a private member's bill. This is the second time in Scotland we've brought a bill. Hugh Henry brought it before in, a, in the first inception of the Parliament. So this has been going an ongoing battle, but thankfully, initially the, the bill wasn't being supported, but because of the key worker status and the pandemic, 
it's been not very PC to not support yeah. the legislation forward. So the timeline for us really worked really well. We ended up getting unanimous support and that will assist us also in terms of, there's a PR part about it in terms of it being unacceptable behaviours around how the public behave, a bit like seatbelt campaigns and sort of antisocial behaviour, but, but it will also mean that the recording of crime will be there, so we'll have actual statistics and the police will feel more obliged to respond mm. uh, to these incidents as they occur. And there will be that additional bit that Joanna's spoken about, about hindering people when they're trying to do their work. They're not trained, they're not they're not armed, they're not police, mm. they're not, they don't have the enforcement abilities, but we do ask them to enforce the law. And um, laws are made by parliamentarians, but the shop workers weren't protected by them. So the campaign goes on. It's great that we've got a bit of momentum now in Scotland. That'll become in, on the statute books by August, we reckon that'll come into force. And on Wednesday we're just about to start a campaign with Crime Stoppers just to highlight the the new bit of law and to sort of make it give a bit more public awareness to that and we're hoping that obviously that will spur on the Westminster campaign and assist the rest of the UK because it shouldn't be that if Scottish workers are protected more than any other worker you know work, workers across the whole of the UK are impacted by this and they should, they're entitled to that protection and as constituents each MP has a duty of care to their mm. every constituent. They're meant to be keeping their constituents safe. So if they don't value retail workers, they maybe value voters, see them as voters yeah. more, and that'll help push things in the right direction for where we need things to be. So the campaign goes on, and I mean, in terms of popularity, we're obviously, in terms of driving that campaign, when we relaunched the petition, it got 10,000 signatures in the first day that wow. it was open, and we reached 100,000 mark. So that is pushing, we're driving that forward in, in Westminster as well. So it's great that we're getting the momentum. It's a terrible situation that we're in that's driving yeah. this. However, that's been the, the plus point for us. And I, I do think there's an element in terms of, because it's mainly and has been a crime against women and crime and retail workers is generally been and seen as a female's role. Yeah. And now more men are entering into it. It does sadly add additional weight mm. <laughs> to, the, to the campaign. So I was going to ask that whether it was gendered because my assumption is most people who work in shops particularly when you consider like part-time roles you know it tends to be women and most people involved in assaults and violent assaults and aggravated assaults tend to be men I mean does that actually play out is that do you literally see that are, are we talking about it being crime essentially crimes by men against women? About 60% of retail workers are women. So anything that affects retail workers has a disproportionate mm. impact on women. Um, and we have found that although within that group, when it comes to physical assaults, it's pretty even, I think slightly more men have been physically assaulted than women. However, when it comes to verbal abuse, we have seen a pattern where there is a higher proportion of women shop workers are subject to verbal abuse than than male shop workers. So, yeah, the, the, there is certainly a gendered element to this. Like I say, you know, anything that impacts on shop workers will have a, a disproportionate impact on women. Women quite often will work the unsocial hours shifts mm. as well to fit around their families. They'll often work in convenience stores because it's convenient 
for them to get to and things like that. And often those are the places where there are the flashpoints for abuse. And very often as well, they're doing the very direct customer facing roles within retail. So when you get, when you're talking about sort of checkout mm. operators and things like that, they will very often be women. And that's where the flashpoints for abuse do tend to be because it's around the point of sale. Okay, I interrupted you there for a bit, but great diversion. Can you tell me what the situation is in in the rest of the UK that's not Scotland now, currently? We're campaigning for the law to be changed in in line with what's happened in Scotland. And what's happened in Scotland is has clearly been a really important step forward, not just for Scotland, but for the rest of the UK, because it's adding to the pressure on the government in Westminster to do something. Our petition, as Tracy mentioned, got 104,000 signatures, which was fantastic and really shows the strength of support. As a result, because it was a parliamentary petition, there should be a debate in Parliament on that. That's unfortunately been delayed because of COVID restrictions. So Mm. we're waiting for the outcome of that. However, the... Home Affairs Select Committee has opened an inquiry into violence and abuse against shop workers and they opened that up to responses which closed in January and they're being considered at the moment and lots of our members responded to that directly to talk about what's happened, you know, their own experiences and what the impact has been on them and those responses are being considered at the moment. So there's definitely growing pressure, I would say, on government in in Westminster to do something about this. And it's not just coming from us as as the union, it's also coming from retailers. Mm. So there was a letter sent to the government, which was signed by 65 retail chief executives calling on them um, to take action. There's public support, there's support from the retailers, there's a very strong sense from the shop workers that something needs to be done. So we're going to continue to put pressure on the government to change the law to to provide more protection for shop workers. And you do have support within Parliament, not necessarily within government. I know, for example, because my MP, Daniel Zeichner, is, is on this because he had people talking about it at our local Labour Party meeting. It kind of depresses me that you have to make something illegal to stop people doing it. So the other issue, of course, is how do we make people just respect shop workers? Because, I mean, if this hasn't done it, genuinely, if this hasn't made you realise that if that shop wasn't open, if that person hadn't turned up to work, that, that I wouldn't have had really valuable, vital things that I needed at probably one of the worst times of my life. I mean, if that doesn't make people respect shop workers, I don't know what will. What what do you think needs to be done to tackle this on a non-legislative footing? I think there is a big piece about winning hearts and minds, isn't there? And there's a big bit about how how retail workers and their roles have been valued. And I think whilst legislation, you're absolutely right. I mean, no one wants to have to introduce a law to protect someone to attend their work. It's not right. I mean, on any level, no one should feel unsafe going to do a day's work for a business. But I think part of that hearts and minds is the corporate image of retail. And I think people do not see, as Joanna really well highlighted, the fact that there is a person behind that role and it's really about doing that piece of work and sort of getting that message out there and people understanding that the role is a valuable one and that it is not okay Uh, for people to be abused in any way when they're just trying to do the best they can in their job. And you you see it on social media all the time. I I was was really angry last week. I saw someone making a comment about 
how slowly someone was serving them. And then there was this, this onslaught of people commenting about all these individuals. Mm. And they, they named the store, and I didn't comment because it's actually someone that's got quite a big profile. And I didn't comment because I didn't want that person could have been highlighted by their store manager and then disciplined at the back of that. People just see retail workers as fair game and we really need to do yeah. a bit of work around that. And that, that's just really where we're at. I mean, there's a lot of things about in the pandemic, the, a lot of the big retailers have made a lot of money, but they've probably they've taken on more staff. So there should be staffing levels and stuff that are appropriately in place. And as Joanna's touched on, making sure the security in place and as necessary, because we're asking people to we're not asking them, the government's asking them to police all these policies, but they're not getting the support to do so. So really a hearts and minds thing, and um, I don't have any quick fix other than than doing that sort of awareness stuff around it, and maybe the crime stopper stuff will help, yeah. and obviously the legislation kind of forces, drives that home, doesn't it? And hopefully that'll be good in some respects in terms of a deterrent but we really need to do a bit more than just the, the deterrent work in terms of the, the assaults we don't want the assaults happening in the first place so we've still got a long way to go even with the legislation in place yeah and i think there's a role for employers as well and and that's something that we have, have always been pushing employers to do is to back up their staff so you know when for example when a customer is being abusive towards a member of staff and they ask for support from a manager that support should be there and it should be unequivocal support and there's definitely been an improvement in that I think in terms of the attitude of employers in recent years and you know it's putting out that really clear message to the public that abuse of staff really won't be tolerated you'll be asked to leave the store and you know in in extreme cases you'll be banned from the store and that needs to be followed through yeah yeah agreed Thank you very much for this. This has been very interesting and hopefully very useful to people. Just as a quick reminder, if anyone's listening to this and they know someone who works in a shop who thinks I only work a couple of days a week or a couple of hours a week, that's probably not for me. They can also join you. How do they get in touch? So, uh, they, go on. Sorry, we're both pulling over ourselves to tell you. <laughs> We've got offices all across the country, um, but they can join online. People can contact us. Um, by a phone number or um, go to the Osdor website and they can join join us online there. Brilliant. Standard issue for all women.